Well, you can turn to Luke's Gospel. Luke 11. As of late, amen, the Spirit of God has sought to convict us in regards to prayer. And I do pray that we're convicted. He is seeking to call us afresh into the devotional altar. And we have said it over and over again, and I trust that we believe this, that our great need is for revival. Our great need, not, not just in America, not, not, not just in Pentecostal churches, but at consuming fire fellowship. Our greatest need is for revival. And yet for a man to confess that he needs revival without casting himself wholly on God and believing prayer is akin to a street vagrant who begs for food but refuses his responsibility to to labor when he is offered a job. Amen. If we say that we need revival but we refuse to be moved in our prayer life, then we are self-deceived to believe, amen, that we take that to heart. Somebody say amen. Sadly, many today are conscious of their spiritual weakness. They know that they need a refreshing, yet in spiritual frustration, they'll do almost anything but pray. And that's what the religious life is like. Scheming, amen, striving, strategizing, amen, in the flesh, and uh, just with merely a religious resolve. And it's good to be resolved, but without really casting oneself upon prayer, the Christian life is, if you will, lifeless. Prayer individually, prayer uh, corporately breeds prayer, amen, prayer breeds prayer. And if we cannot be stirred to pray, then we're never going to inspire others to pray, which tends to spiritual futility. You know, it's really a shameful thing. If I preach the gospel and lead a man to the Lord Jesus Christ and produce a prayerless, professing Christian, or if I seek to disciple or influence someone in the name of Jesus and produce someone who does not pray, that is spiritual futility in the extreme. And it is to produce something that God never intended. In fact, a spiritual contradiction. Prayer or truly communing with God is the marrow of true piety, the pinnacle of spiritual confirmation. As Samuel Chadwick said, prayer is the acid test of devotion. Amen. You strip away all the props of religion. And that carnal religionist, amen, stands staring in the blank face, amen, of a God that he doesn't really know. A God that he knows only afar off. A very awkward occasion in the presence of an unfamiliar acquaintance. What a shame. Like nothing else, the quality of our prayer lives offer a pristine reflection of the depth, the quality, and the intimacy of our relationship with God. This is an absolute. Professing Christians who pray are near to God. Those who pray little at best are afar off. And those who rarely, if ever, pray are nothing more than religious hypocrites. Amen. 
nothing more than religious hypocrites. This is an absolute. Only to the degree we intimately know God can we influence others to know God. May we understand here this morning in our twofold commission as the church, namely to preach the gospel or to evangelize, amen, teaching all nations or discipleship. This is our twofold commission, amen, preaching, evangelizing, and making disciples. Anything less than bringing men into an intimate knowledge of God is nothing more than spiritual futility, amen. It, is, it, it will be exposed as wood, hay, and stumble, a stumble at that eternal fire of judgment, amen. As Jesus rebuked the religious hypocrites of his day, saying, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Who was Jesus speaking to? He was speaking to the Pharisees. And these were men who apparently still had a great zeal to promote their religion, but had little time to truly fellowship, amen, with and know God. Another in other words, they loved to talk to men. They would talk to men about religion, but they had no real valid relationship with God. So indeed, we need to influence others as Christians. We have a desire to influence others as Christians, but we want to influence them rightly. Somebody say amen. amen. Reading two verses here this morning. Two scripture verses, first of all in Luke 11 and 1. And just um, a portion of this scripture actually. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. First Corinthians 8 and 3. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. If any man love God, the same is known of him. A simple but all important thought this morning, prayer, the key to spiritual influence. Father, we need you, Lord, we need that word, that do word, Father God, that relevant word, your mind from heaven, that word in due season, Lord, to speak to us, that we might hear, that we might be drawn unto you, Lord God, that your will would be done amongst us here at Consuming Fire Fellowship. I do pray for the anointing of your spirit. I pray for the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would have grace to both speak and to hear and obey. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't plan on being very long here this morning. Just two basic observations taken from our text here in Luke's gospel. And the first observation is this. Even the prayerless can discern those who truly seek God. Even the prayerless Amen can discern those who truly seek God. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, 
So we see here the primary event and the thing that we're focusing on here in this verse, a request for instruction in prayer. It transpired not during, but after Jesus was through praying. In other words, it wasn't necessarily something that they saw. And now granted, it was prophesied that Jesus would be a man of prayer. And these Jews were familiar with the Old Testament. It says in Psalms 109 and 4, speaking or prophesying of Christ, for my love, they are my my adversaries, but I give myself under prayer. And there are many such scriptures or prophecies like that. No doubt the disciples had personally witnessed Jesus' devotional life firsthand. Nevertheless, when we read through the Bible, we're left with the impression that Jesus' devotional life was mainly something private. Amen. The Gospels are ripe with verses like this found in Matthew 14 and 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Mark 6 and 46 And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Says it was his custom to wake up a great, you know, while before day. In Luke 6 and 12, it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And so we read verses like this. And we're left with the impression that much of his devotional life, amen, as one would expect, was in secret, amen. And so it is under normal circumstances. A man's devotional life is something hidden from natural observation. It's something that is established in secret. And I say under normal circumstances because... Um, you know, obviously someone's wife, someone's children, someone's family member, uh, would have a better idea. Of course, someone in a local church with others that labor alongside. Hey, Ben, that's going to be revealed to some degree, but still the balance of the, even when we meet in corporate prayer or we meet in the morning, amen, a lot of times people are by themselves, amen, there's no way to really absolutely know what's taking place in the heart. Somebody say amen. But notice the marvelous promise, amen, and we're very familiar with this, that Jesus gave in Matthew 6 and 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, first of all, let me just qualify something here, because, uh, you know, over the years when I have taught on prayer, when I have preached against prayerlessness, when I have painted prayerlessness as sinfulness, People reject that. They really fight that under conviction. And uh, when I bring out certain things about our demeanor and the way that we're to go about praying, people begin to uh, try to associate that with, you know, the Pharisees praying to be seen of men or praying, you know, on the street corners and, uh, you know, that type of religious spirit. No one is trying to promote that you would pre, uh, pray to be seen of men. 
Amen? But there's also many scriptures in the Bible directed to the church in regards to corporate prayer. And not just that, amen, praying and how we should go about praying. So uh, by, you know, by applying spiritual pressure uh, with any moral issue, that's the case. Amen? We're not trying to teach you to be religious showboats. Amen? We're trying to teach you to pray and to pray rightfully and to be honest with yourself, to be honest, to judge yourself rightly, amen, and to truly seek God with your whole heart. But here in Matthew 6 and 6, Jesus gives us, amen, a wonderful promise. And Jesus, being the Word of God, amen, in the flesh, both epitomized and demonstrated this devotional principle found in Matthew 6 and 6, praying in secret and openly openly being rewarded. And no doubt, at least part of that open reward is influence to inspire willing hearts to seek and to know God. And that's one of the primary thoughts that we want to communicate here this morning. Only the prayerful can truly encourage prayer. And listen to me, anyone that doesn't pray or anyone that doesn't pray or prays very little is someone that really has very little love or knowledge for God. Because prayer is the pinnacle. Nothing so communicates or reflects or verifies our love and our passion for intimacy with God like prayer. So if we produce or influence people that do not pray, that's a that's a reproach, that's a tragedy, that's a terrible thing. I don't want to produce people that don't pray. I don't, I don't want to have children that don't pray. I don't want to have a wife that doesn't pray. I don't want to produce or minister to a church and disciple people, amen, who dig in when you ask them to pray. Amen, that is a reproach. Well, this is an absolute. Only those who pray can truly encourage prayer. So, uh, you know, any any attempt to try to uh, draw people in or minister to people to know God and me myself not know God is, hypocrisy and its futility. Notice it wasn't while Jesus was praying, but rather when he ceased praying that he attracted the attention of the disciples. Perhaps a better way to put it, in between prayer meetings. He was prayerful, obviously. He was an individual that sought Amen. His father with all of his heart. He was sinless in his prayer life. Amen. But it wasn't when they saw him praying, they just knew that he prayed. Amen. And he had influence with them because of that. Amen. This is when he was approached by men who didn't pray, who desperately needed to pray. And what they said was, teach us, Lord, to pray. So like all true God seekers, after him, even though the balance of Jesus' prayer life was in secret, it was somehow openly known, as we read in the Scriptures. And the Scriptures confirm, if any man love God, the same is known of him. I don't have to pray with Brother Victor Persinger to know that he's a praying man. It's known of him. He loves God. And I know that he loves God. How do you know that? 
Even the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how it's known. But there is an effect, a residual effect, even that cannot be duplicated any other way, but being in the very presence, walking with, being one with, being right with, having nothing between, even placing Jesus, placing God the Father in the place, even that he is worthy of loving him with all of the heart, mind, soul, and strength. It produces something in a man that no one can mimic, no one can fabricate, no one can manufacture in the flesh. And it's that one thing, that one thing that gives a man influence with others. Without that, the only influence that a man can do or produce or bring upon others is negative. Nothing so verifies our love for God are not like prayer and communion. Because prayer and communion demands time. And you know, those that we love and those that we want their affection, we want their time. Amen? That's what we want. And, and I recognize that's not always necessarily a valid or an absolute in, para, in uh, you know, horizontal relationships. But nevertheless, it's just like you take Wesley and Evangeline who just got married. And they, they're kind of clingy. Amen? And it, no, no one's quite, they, they look like they have a good relationship, don't they? That they, they're, they're with one another. Amen? It's, it's something that's being demonstrated. It's something you can see. No one, no one's thinking, you think Wesley loves Evangeline? It, 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 no one's really questioning. That, that thought's not really entering into anyone's mind. Because, listen to me, there's, there, there are telltale signs. There, there's natural fruit. There, and I'm not saying just touching someone is, uh, because there's a lot of people out there touching and they don't love anybody but themselves. You, you can, you can love, amen, another person by touching them, or, or rather you can love yourself by touching someone else. Amen. But I'm simply saying they, there's an obvious, they want to be with one another. See, listen to me. When you want to be with God, that's something that's known. When you're bored in the presence of God, amen, and you really don't have anything to say, and there's a lack of relationship and intimacy, amen, you may deceive yourself, but you're not deceiving anyone else. Amen. You're not deceiving anyone else. You see, everyone really knows. Anyone can discern those who truly seek God. The man who seeks God displays a discernible heavenly restraint that only comes from intimate divine fellowship. There's some things he would never say. Amen. He is restrained. His tongue is bridled. Or if he does say it, he's immediately smitten. He is under authority. He is aware. He, he recognizes that Jesus is watching and Jesus, amen, is listening and Jesus is there with him. There, you, you don't just, you know, all of us know that that's true. Amen. But if we don't live like that, the only thing that I can, I could call you on your cell phone every 15 minutes and tell you, Jesus is in that truck with you. Jesus is on that job with you. Jesus is at that uh, sink with you while you're washing dishes. Jesus is there. Jesus sees you. Jesus is listening to you. Jesus knows your thoughts. I could tell you that every 15 minutes and it wouldn't produce a restraint necessarily. Certainly not the restraint that God intends. 
as you spend time with him and the reality that he is. Amen. And you pray through, amen, to that place. Then that restraining influence is there. And you act like you believe Jesus is watching you as you watch whatever you watch. (laughs) Amen. That he is watching you. Amen. As you say what you say. That he is reading every thought in your mind. He is listening to every idle word that you speak. Amen. Such men. Amen. That spend time with God somehow carry the sweet fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. A heavenly aroma that cannot be conjured. It cannot be fabricated. It cannot be mimicked. To truly walk with God. To talk with God. To express our deepest thoughts. To communicate our most sincere adoration. To hear His Word. To hear His command. Amen. To receive individual instruction. To allow, amen, the scalpel of the Word of God to touch us specifically and uniquely any character flaw that we may have to hear when Jesus says, I do not approve of this. Amen. That only happens in the presence of Almighty God. And it's absolutely necessary for the sanctification of the believer to commune with nothing, as we sang this morning between. You know, as we've often said, prayer, it's not merely saying words. It's not merely saying biblical words. Though if you're truly praying, you will be saying words and biblical words. It's not just attending a prayer meeting. It's not just kneeling in reverence. Neither is it pacing necessarily in passion. Amen. You see, true prayer flows from only one fountain, a right heart, a heart that is hungry, a heart that seeks after God, a heart that is pursuing and panting and longing to know and to glorify and to experience the holy God of heaven. This is the prayerful heart. And those that don't have anything to say or pray about, those who do not have a prayerful heart, it is a reflection of, at the, at the very least, a shallow relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, when we're, when we're one, when we've prayed through, we're in union with God the Father, when this is often our experience day by day, indeed, amen, this is the closest experience to heaven this side of the grave. And it somehow marks a man and sets him apart. I'm not talking about someone who just prays through once, amen, and prays God for anyone who does pray through just once. But someone who consistently, diligently seeks God, amen, then God is a rewarder of such men. Amen. He gives them, he rewards them openly. I don't think the, the, the reward itself, as we, as we mentioned here, is a completely or, or solely influenced with men, but I believe that is part of the reward. Somebody say amen.
like Moses, whose fellowship with God was alone. It was a pri- it was private. It was high atop the mount. But he came forth with his face shining like the sun, and he carried in his hands the covenant. Amen. He had the word of the Lord. It was something obvious. It was some- something that people discerned and they saw. Indeed, spiritual intimacy is something so transcendent, so otherworldly, that it cannot be feigned. You know, if you, if you pray little, then you might delude yourself, as I said earlier. But you're not going to deceive, deceive most people. And in fact, when people who are prayerless and people lack spiritual insight and spirituality, they try to put on spirituality like a jacket and then take it off, strip it off when it isn't convenient. When they try to prove themselves to be spiritual, when they have no real first-hand experience or they only know about these things afar off or second-hand. Amen. Such men make utter fools of themselves. The best thing you can do if you're prayerless, and if you're prayerless, then you're not spiritual. Amen. If you're prayerless, you may think you're spiritual. You, you may find the most spiritual prayer. You may speak nothing but the Bible, and it's going to be tainted. It's going to be out of gear. It's going to be strange. The best thing for you to do is shut up. Because you make a fool out of yourself. I've rebuked my children before. Seen visiting preachers some start trying to talk about things they never talk about. Just shut up. Don't do that. Amen. If you see it, you pray through and see it, then talk about it. If not, just nod your head and say, yes, sir. Amen. Listen to me. This, this is something, if a man loves God, it's known of him. Prayerless men cannot be, or rather prayerlessness or prayerfulness cannot be mimicked. However, neither can it be hidden from those who have eyes to see and who possess spiritual hunger. Mr. Bounds said a prayerful ministry is the only ministry that brings us into sympathy with those we seek to reach. Prayer essentially unites to the human as it does to the divine. No ministry can succeed without much praying. And this praying must be fundamental, ever-abiding, ever-increasing. Oh, well, Brother Britt, I'm not called to a ministry. You are deceived. Every one of you have a ministry. And no ministry is going to be successful without prayer, without seeking God, praying about it. Talking to God, knowing God, walking with God, receiving instruction, knowing the mind and the will of God every day, every moment, every situation, being sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God, even having discernment, able to look through a thing, even underneath, behind it, rather than just at it. And so it is. And an absolute, again, is established. It's only the prayerful 
are those who truly love and seek God, who will be rewarded with the influence to inspire others to truly love and to seek God. Amen. And what else is there in the kingdom as far as our ministry toward others? Amen. If I'm homeschooling, if I'm raising, uh, you know, quote unquote, a godly family, if I'm not trying to raise children that truly love and seek God, then I'm not trying to raise godly children. If I, if I have a church and I'm a pastor, amen, and I'm not trying to disciple people and bring them into a place where it could be said these people love God and they're seekers of God, then I'm not truly trying to disciple men to be biblical Christians. That leads us, amen, to the second thought. The truly teachable are attracted to those who consistently seek God. Not repelled by them. One of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. In this one request is revealed a teachable heart with a keen sense of spiritual awareness. By these words, this disciple, first of all, he acknowledges his need for prayer or his need to pray. And secondly, he discerns who has the personal and first-hand experience to teach him rightly. Now, I understand, amen, people say, well, of course he's, you know, appealing to God. And I know Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. He was fully God. But he was also fully man, amen. So he represents leadership. He represents, amen, the church. He represents the five-fold ministry. Amen, he represents someone ministering to another. So it's one thing for a man to know that he has a need. It's another thing for him to go the right direction, amen, to have that need met, amen. And I can tell you, I've learned this over and over again, amen, through the years. If a man is willing to be challenged and taught, you know what to teach is? To instruct and correct. Amen. You know, if I take one of you and we're going to teach you to cut grass and you've never cut grass commercially and uh, we're going to, we're going to say, now you, this is instruction. Take the weeding, take it. This is the string. This is is how you start. This is the choke. And when, you know, the guy takes the thing and he yanks the, the recoil so hard that he wants to break the string. Nope, that's wrong. Yeah, you're pulling that too hard. Quick, you know, short, quick strokes there. Are you going to break the string? Uh, I've been doing, I've pulled a recall before. If you you don't want to be corrected, then you don't want to be what? Taught. Amen. So you were sent here to be taught. If a man is willing to be taught, challenged in his prayer life, then he's willing to be challenged overall. But if you cannot correct someone regarding their prayer life, and I'm not saying just someone has a right spirit, amen, but when you correct people over and over regarding prayer and there is no change, they just dig in. They're obstinate. They refuse to act or put into, amen, put into practice what they hear, amen, that you're never going to teach that individual or those people anything else. Amen. Because if you don't pray, amen, you're not willing to be taught. If you won't let God put his finger 
on your prayer life, then you're not going to let him put his finger on anything else. In my experience, men who cannot be challenged, corrected, or motivated in their habits of prayer are beyond repair. Now remember here, when we look at Luke chapter 11, and what it represents, for the most part, that's the Christian church on the earth. Everyone is included in that verse right there. He, that's Jesus. Amen. Us, that's the disciples. That's basically everyone. That's the church. Amen. On the earth at this time. Of course, I realize there were, you know, some stragglers or people that had heard Jesus, but you understand what I'm saying. This represents the true church. Amen. Leadership and laymen, teachers and pupils. And notice in the audience here, the audience of us, we have the seed of the primitive church. We have men called to be apostles. We have men who will be inspired, amen, to write uh, books of the Bible, three of the Gospels, several epistles found in the New Testament. We have men who basically are the seed of Pentecost, who in the future would uh, preach the Gospel with power. Men who make disciples out of delinquents, plant thriving churches in nearly every city, village, and Hamlet, men who would go to their grave as martyrs for the Lord Jesus Christ. They would rise up five preachers and evangelists everywhere. Yes, everyone was there. Leadership, amen, and laymen. And so we see in the true, spiritually healthy church, there's only two legitimate classes of people. Those who are praying and those who are praying are influencing those who want to be taught to pray and compelled to pray. That's the only kind of people in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In Jesus' church, there's no such thing as the prayerless Christians. There's no such thing as the prayerless open-air preacher. There's no such thing as the prayerless campus witness. There's no such thing as the prayerless teacher. There's no such thing as the prayerless evangelist or apologist. No, no. Each and every one of them are either praying or designed to be taught to pray. You need to fall in one or the other, or you're not really part of the church. True effectual spiritual influence only comes through prayer. Emmy Andros said there is no other activity in life so important as that of prayer. Every other activity depends upon prayer for its best efficiency. In the once mighty fire baptized Pentecostal church, her leading mark was her spiritually motivated praying men. Amen. And they did have praying women, of course. Amen. But they had right, there was order at one time in the church. And the men prayed. They sought God. They provided, amen, righteous leadership. But the Pentecostal church of today is fueled mostly by overly assertive women who pull their husbands along for the ride. And a lot of them are ignorant. A lot of them don't understand. 
understand even what they're doing. Amen. But uh, sadly, that's the case. You travel around, you visit even the most conservative churches. Amen. Churches filled with families void of real spiritual leadership. Amen. Men with very little discernment. Amen. L- little, uh, you know, conviction. In other words, this is what we're going to do. This is the way we're going to live. Amen. And even if it costs me something, I refuse to compromise. Amen. Spiritually uh, self inconsistent, easily manipulated by wives and children and especially daughters. No spiritual fortitude. No spiritual strength. Indeed, where there are men, if there are men at all, and because you can go in churches, it's just very few men. Families, women. The men tend to be spiritually passive, prayerless, sometimes morally adrift. Men who openly have little influence with their families, or even worse, a negative influence. Because they rarely shut the door of prayer in secret. I can tell you this, their wives and children know it. Amen. Men who can talk for hours with other men, and they can talk about almost anything, but they have hardly anything to say to the Lord Jesus Christ. If their mother dies, if their father dies, amen, they can weep and cry. But they can come into worship service and be preoccupied with the pattern of the carpet. Dead, basically. Dead unto God. They can get stirred up. They can be angry to defend. Amen. Political situations. Amen. Situations of, you know, uh, social justice, etc. and so forth. Amen. But they are not angry or grieved with their own neglect of God. Any attempt at speaking about spiritual matters? Rings hollow, shallow, insincere, like a man speaking about something he is only remotely familiar with. Men whose affections are obviously on things beneath and not above, even though they may be lawful on their work, hunting, fishing, hobbies, etc. and so forth. And listen to me, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with any of that. Amen? There's nothing even wrong talking about that. But we, listen to me, we should be more comfortable. Amen? In other words, if you hunt and you talk about hunting, if you, if you, if you talk about something at work, if you, if you talk about a hobby that you may have or something in the natural that's lawful, that's fine. But you should be just as comfortable or even more so in discussing spiritual matters. When someone discusses my business with me as a grass cutter, uh, if they cut grass, it isn't long that I can talk to somebody and figure out if they really know how to cut grass or not because I've been doing it a while. Day in and day, hour after hour, under the sun, in the heat. Hey man, we, I know pretty much the dynamics of cutting grass. Hey, somebody say amen. 
Well, when someone talks to me about grass cutting and they're a grass cutter, they should bear witness. Now, this guy, hey man, he, he's been out there in that, uh, you know, noonday sun when it's a hundred degrees by himself out there and he's got to blow and et cetera and so forth. He knows exactly what he's talking about. I ought to bear witness with him. But likewise, talking about spiritual matters, somebody ought to bear witness. This man. Has been with Jesus. Oh yes, sir. He's seen things I've seen there. Amen. He's touched that heavenly diamond as I touched it. Amen. I, he, he's hearing the voice that I hear. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much preaching you've heard. You can go through the school of Christ a thousand times. Amen. Listen to me. You're not going to mimic that. No, you're not. You can say all the things you've heard others say. You could memorize every Raven Hill book. You're not going to produce that. You're not going to fabricate it. And the more you try, and listen to me, this is the thing. You say, well, I'm not really trying to prevent myself as someone who's prayerful. Really? Amen? Really? Then you're not trying to present yourself as a Christian. Because a Christian knows and loves God. Why don't you just go out there, you know, when you're preaching again? I don't really like God that much. I don't talk to Him. I talk to Him very little. I don't really have a lot of time to talk to Him. Prayer, <laughs> kind of, kind of boring. Now I'd like to preach to you about Jesus. Every one of you, try to you, you witness to your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your neighbor. You're presenting yourself as someone who knows, someone who loves God. And if you don't pray, you're a contradiction. You're a contradiction. Especially men. You should lead. Ultimately, prayerless fathers will produce hellbound, carnal, one-eye-on-the-world religious degenerates. Who would rather read the paper than the Bible, watch YouTube, amen, or play a computer game than pray. You know, if we're going to successfully raise up a spiritual generation to carry on, then we're going to have to be spiritual. You know, and really, I, I'm not going to say a whole lot about this, but I may in the future. You know, we first started this show, when my, my, when my wife and I were married, before we had, we had a plan. This is something we had a, a vision. Like TV, nope. Dangerous. Not gonna have that. Well, what about a video monitor? Well, we got a video monitor, but only this. Amen. There were there were certain things that we recognized, but you know that was all before the internet. I tell you, the internet, great and terrible. A lot of, a lot of benefit. There's no two ways about it. And I, I really, be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm convicted about it. And I, and I look around at the next generation and I see, you know, some of the things that uh, you allow your children and it worries me. It, I, my own children worry me because I have the internet. So I can't really tell them not to have it, but will they be able to handle the internet alone? That's scary. A scary thought. There's lots of evil on that thing. 
And, the, and you know, the longer we go along, you, you just cut, you know, Fox News. They're, they're on Fox News. There are things there no Christian ought to even see. Really. I mean, just on the, you know, like here I am, I, you know, open it up, here, get an envelope. Cut, cover it, you know, just try to scroll down around that. Can we uh, expand that little window? Video games? Yeah, are you kidding? Entertainment! Yeah, again, is every video game a sin? No. Have you ever played it? Yes. But I'll tell you what, listen to me. My children, I, I've rarely, you know, you know we've, we've had a few, you know, typing games. But I, I know that, you know, my children, or really, let me just say, human beings in general are entertainment freaks. That's and once you, that's the thing, once you begin to enter in and begin to allow something, and then, then uh, you know, before long, uh, you realize, and I've got to, you know, I've got to set some boundaries here, because this thing here is encroaching on my relationship with Jesus. And that, you know, that's not something, that, that that's something under the Lordship of Christ, but it's something we need to be honest about with ourselves. Because listen to me, the culture of this church is not the culture of this church when we first began. Just as Wesley brought out, they're, they're saying, I mean, I mean, really, it's vastly different. And a lot of it is because all this technology just was, you know, opened up to us. And before we really thought about it, now, you know, 20 years later, we got the Internet in our house. And it makes, you know, it makes a TV look like, you know, some praying saint. You know, YouTube all day. Watch that. Shame on you. Shame. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. And you fill your mind. If I fill my mind, even with lawful. You understand? It's dangerous. There comes a point where, as you know, Wesley brought up a good point the other night. He brought up the point, you know, about hunting. Well, there's nothing wrong with hunting. But as an individual under the Lordship of Christ, I have to do You see, I tell my children all the time. As a Christian, hey, man, you can't have every hobby. You, you can't have every lawful hobby. I can't be a bodybuilder and a, you know, a hunter and a, you know, a, a diesel truck mechanic and a, and I can't be all that. I gotta pick something that God allows me to do and they scale down. You know, they always call you, you're a city boy, Dave. That's why you don't like hunting. That's not true. I loved hunting when I was young. I don't have time to hunt. So they're wrong with it. I let them hunt. I'll eat that what they kill. Amen? But I, I don't, I could, I could get into that. I could get into hunting. I could get into fishing. I can't, I can't have too many hobbies. Amen. I, I like playing a guitar. I like have a few little hobbies. I like to lift weights. Amen. And I, and I'm not doing that uh, as faithfully as I need to. Amen. But uh, I'm just saying, I, I can't have every hobby. You know, as a Christian, that, that's part of being responsible under the Lordship of Christ. Amen. I've got to put seeking God first. Well, let me tell you something. Fathers and parents, you need to help your children. You need to set things. Just let me, there in my hair here, here's 15 video games. Boy, you talk about dangerous. Most of those games are vile anyway. 
not really teaching Christianity. See, that was part of the vision. I preached a lot of that in the early days of this church. When, when Brother Clendenin would say something like, the children came in and they're all just shook, shook. No one running around screaming, none of that. Everybody was like little soldiers sitting there. Because we're trying to raise them to be disciples under discipline. That's a good thing. Be a good thing for you to take your children and say, wait, today, what are we going to do today, honey? What are you doing today, honey? You're going to sit on the couch for six hours straight. You know, see, you think that's too hard? It ain't. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not exaggerating. You understand? I mean, every word I say. Some of you need to put your children and stick them on a couch and say, I got a rod here. Oh, you know what you're going to do today? You're going to sit right there. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit right here. And every time you move and I tell you not to move, I'm going to spank you. Yes, sir. Just don't talk. Let's try it. Don't talk for two hours. We did that. Absolutely. And I, oh, this is just, you know, well, what's going to happen when they're older? Because you're not going to get a hold of them when they're older. You're going to get a hold of them right now. Help them protect them. Don't open them up to all these things because who's going to be entertained? No, we don't want to, no, you don't want to be entertained. You want to be disciplined. I'm going to entertain you with some discipline today. Amen. They'll, they'll love you for it. Oh yeah. They will. And, and if they don't, I don't care. See, that's when they're going to love you. And then because listen to me, I don't care whether they like it or not. That's what we're doing. And they love me for it. Cause I'm doing this under the Lord. I don't really care if they like it or not. I have to love them. I'm going to protect them. I'm not going to give them over to themselves. And I have, you know, to make a confession, my, my younger, you know, my younger children, I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with the grandfather spirit, but I'm convicted of that. As I've been, you know, gone into retirement here and I've been staying home, amen, it's been a revelation for Elisha and Luke, amen. They, they haven't eaten almost any day. That's the truth. And they've almost missed a meal every day. Some days miss two, all. Hey, who put that on that pile back there to burn? Come back 20 minutes. Still there? Uh, I told you I forgot. Okay, we're forgetting lunch. Daddy, can I eat? No. Mommy, don't ask your mother. You're not eating. Amen. I brought them to work. We go somewhere, tell them what to do. Now, when they're first day there, you know, we're going to give them a little mercy. But after they, you know, you have to, we need this area here. This is against the fence. You recognize it? Yes, sir. You know, two or three times after that, they miss a whole section. I forgot. You're not eating today. Amen. And spanking, too. You know, spanking when you get home, plus you're not eating. Why? Why would you do that? Because if I don't do it, 
They're not going to grow out of that. They're not going to grow out of it. It's your job to challenge them in that. But if you, you know what? If you don't pray through, then you know what happens? If you don't really know the Jesus of the Bible, then you will think discipline is unloving. You will think correction is unloving. And you will end up hating your own children in the name of a humanistic love. Just because you go to consuming fire, you let, you let this church backslide. You let anyone here that doesn't pray. And listen to me, they're not going to over discipline their children. They're going to under discipline them. And I'm not denying there could be child abuse, but that would be a wrong spirit. Of course, there's sinners that do that. Amen. But listen to me, the, 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 the tendency in this humanistic hour is of gross under discipline. And the root of that, listen to me, is not a right vision of God. It's just not seeing Jesus as he is. Jesus, amen, wants us to come under discipline. If we're not praying, it's going to affect our entire, amen, family. As much as we'd like to avoid it, we are bound by the law of reproduction. Everything is going to produce after its own kind. Amen. And it usually gets worse. As Brother Clinton used to say, you want people, amen, to quit drinking whiskey in your church, you almost got to quit drinking coffee. Amen. It's always going to degenerate to a lower level through the generation. That's why these new people, amen, young people marrying and having families, they need Conviction in their spirit. You're usually the second generation. I'm not going to do that. It was so hard. It was so ruthless. That old dungeon in that church. <laughs> Gotta remember that with. It was kind of eerie, but. Thank God. Carnal folk tend to gravitate towards carnality and toward other carnal people. Spiritual people seek after other spiritual people. If we want revival, moral change, victory over sin, then we're going to have to repair the altar. That's where it all starts. Amen? You know, and, and again, you know, this church is not about me. This church is about Jesus. But, uh, you know, I was the pastor that planted the church. So the vision was first given to me. But it wasn't given to me by watching YouTube. I mean, it was given to me by prayer, by personal dealing by God himself. And these things that God showed me, it's not me. It's not my doctrine. It's his doctrine. And it's his way. And it does work if we'll follow it. But we're not going to maintain that individually. And I'm not going to maintain it individually without praying. And you're not going to receive it and maintain it without praying. Ian Bounds said, the only protection and rescue from worldliness line are intense and radical spirituality. And our only hope for the existence and the maintenance of this high saving spirituality under God is in the purest and the most aggressive leadership. A leadership that knows the secret power of prayer. 
the sign by which the church has conquered and that has conscience and conviction and courage to hold to her true symbols, traditions, and power. We need this prayerful leadership. When, when you hear that term leadership, don't think just the pulpit. It includes the pulpit. It means in your home, in your marriage, leadership at every level. Somebody say amen. We need this prayerful leadership. We must have it. That by the perfection and beauty of its holiness, by the strength and elevation of its faith, by the potency and pressure of its prayers, by the authority and spotlessness of its example, by the fire and cognitation of its zeal, by the singularity, the sublimity, and the otherworldliness of its piety, it may influence, it may influence God, it may influence us, and hold and mold the church to its heavenly pattern. That leadership, listen to me, it sounds from heaven. It must be thundered from the pulpit. It must be received in your heart. It must be given to your children. Would you stand? Prayer. It's the key to spiritual influence. Would you find a place to ask God to help you?